hope this episode finds you well today as we're somewhat dancing between the seasons of winter and spring. At least we are here in southwestern Ontario. And, you know, I'm not quite ready to say goodbye to winter yet. Of course, I do love winter. It is my favorite season. But I also only got out to do my first ice fishing excursion just last weekend. And we've got a little bit of a warm cycle coming through here. And I hope it doesn't uh, you know, melt all the ice that we've accumulated in the last few weeks here as we've been kind of in a deep freeze. So, um, yeah, just not ready to say goodbye to uh, winter yet for that purpose of ice fishing. We didn't have any ice uh, last year. The Great Lakes did not freeze over, so really haven't scratched the itch when it comes to ice fishing, but I was able to get out last weekend, um, Mitchell's Bay, Ontario, very popular ice fishing spot. It's like a city out there on the ice. And uh, yeah, it was so nice to see people outdoors and connect with a few friends. We all kind of pitched in and had a bunch of shanties up and it was an awesome time. We did well, but I uh, I actually ended up donating fish to my friend and his family. Um, Yeah, it was a great time. And yeah, it was just great to get outdoors because as you know, as I've been mentioning, just been busy, head down, analyzing papers for an upcoming uh, scoping review that I'm planning on publishing. Uh, Just been analyzing 50 papers and 13 of which will be the focus of this scoping review on the health benefits of contact with nature and how our perceived level of connection to nature impacts our overall health and well-being and the benefits we derive from nature. So yeah, I'm just really looking forward to finally finishing that one off and, and just in the data analysis type phase. So, um, but yeah, other than that, let's get back to exciting stuff outdoors. That's what we're all here for. And, uh, this weekend I'm actually heading up to my land, uh, in the Canadian shield to do some chaga mushroom harvesting as well as, uh, some snowshoe hare hunting, which I'm really looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, actually speaking about hunting, that's a great time to segue away from, what's been good in my world and discuss my wild and wonderful guest today, which is none other than Mansell Denton, Little Beaver. He is the founder of Sacred Hunting. He's host of the Mansell Denton podcast, and he's the subject of an upcoming documentary, Blow the Drop, exploring our relationship to life and death through hunting. So Mansell's story, he shares it here today, but essentially to wrap it up, he, uh, early in life felt insecure and he chased a woman to Europe which actually led him into prison and then you know struggling with the shame and confusion of what it meant to be a man he found his calling with the sacred art of hunting and he now desires to share this practice with more men and he does so through his website at sacredhunting.com. Mansell's indigenous name comes from a crow dance a crow sundance chief and he his spiritual lineage is derived from six years of mentorship from a Muskegee Creek medicine man named Will Starhart. So we dive very much into hunting as a sacred practice today, as a spiritual practice, and how hunting with intention can open the doors to a greater sense of purpose and meaning. So honestly, it was an awesome conversation. And uh, it was wonderful to connect with Mansell, seeing as I feel that we are on similar paths in this regard to uh, getting more men or more more men and women for that matter, into the, uh, you know, the sacred art of hunting. And um, I actually came across Mansell on Clubhouse and then we connected via Instagram and we lined this one up here today. So um, please reach out and connect with Mansell if you're interested in being a participant in one of his hunts. Uh, I have a link to an upcoming shed hunt um, that Mansell is hosting in Montana this April. Um, and that is over in the show notes 
at rewildmybio.com slash hunting is sacred. So, um, you know, in fact, we actually get into a whole lot of interesting stuff. We're not just fluffing over this. We're diving deep into what sacred actually means. Um, we examine the illusion of separation that I would say plagues modern day civilization today. So, you know, I would say that it's, it seems like it's the biggest pandemic of modern life. Um, is that illusion of separation? And, uh, you know, in this examination of the oneness of all beings, we pay close attention to our relationship with life and death here in modern society and how looking at that or maybe healing that um, could lead to a whole lot of a different outcome as far as uh, happiness, health, and all things nature connection. Um, and for good reason, we spend a lot of time, you know, we shed a lot of light on how hunting with intention um it's, it's for one, I mean, it's a pathway to connecting with nature, without a doubt, but it's also about connecting with the great creator of this universe and deepening, um, you know, one's sense of purpose, right? Getting calm, getting quiet, and connecting with nature, and then connecting with God or source, or again, all those words, whichever one works for you. So we extensively co cover today uh, Mansell's group hunts, which I think, uh, you know, he leads these as a rites of passage via ceremony. Um, and this facilitates participants finding more meaning in their life. And I think that's a very important mission right here in this day and age. So, um, and I will say this, if you're a hunting skeptic, or let's say you have a view of hunters that represents, say, you know, your average sports hunter of America that might see, seek to like, say, dominate and control nature. Um, and the views expressed here, or even for that matter, not even that, but let's say you have a, uh, you know, do no harm kind of approach to animals. I feel like the views expressed here, they take on a very different approach to hunting and life in general. And I feel like that um, is important for people to hear. Um, you know, and so it's my hope that this very episode speaks to many who seek to, you know, connect with not only where their food comes from, um, but also those who want to commune with their local ecology and perhaps maybe expand their current hunting practice to be more spiritual. Um, I feel like and we touch on it today, but a lot of men just kind of aren't so keen on wearing their, their hunting practice as a spiritual practice on their sleeve when it comes to the field, whether that means thanking the animal or having some type of ritual and ceremony prior to going out. Um, and I feel like, I feel like the folks who I know who hunt, and again, there's no right way to hunt and hunt with, a, I hunt with a lot of different, uh, people with a lot of different views. And I feel like that is kind of like right there under the surface. Um, and I feel like it's, we're being, we're all being called in some way to connect in a deeper, more meaningful way with nature. And, and this is a great way to do that. So, um, there's plenty of practical tips here. Um, you know, so we're not super abstract and just deep the whole time. Uh, and please let me know if there's anything here today that's new to you, or if this kind of helps you, um, you know, incorporate more spirituality into your hunting practice. Um, but anyway, speaking of abstract, you know, speaking of, uh, we also talk about plant medicine today. Um, and uh, Mansell shares his medicine journey and how, uh, you know, he found his calling into this sacred hunting work. Um, and at the end, of course, you can't have a hunting podcast without talking about some hunting stories. Uh, so Mansell and Richard, they actually share some uh, hunting stories that have a lot of weight and I feel like they're really beautiful. And, uh, you know, we have, we, we did get serious with life and death today, looking into the shadow and what have you. So we, I decided to end on a fun and positive note. And I threw out this kind of rapid fire question and answer period at Mansell, asking him what he prefers on a, on a hunting basis. So stick around for that because it was a lot of fun. 
And of course, like always, I ask, like I ask all guests, I asked Mansell what his wildest dream is for the earth. So one thing I didn't do today, um, and I wanted to, but I, I kind of skipped over it because I was listening to Richard and Mansell's hunting story, is share a hunting story of my own. And I'll share a quick story now, um, you know, and I guess I share it to speak to the spiritual spiritual skeptic out there um, or those that might not be into the idea of hunting as a means or as a connection to God or source. And so I think it shows, you know, the power in my story here. So it shows a little bit of power in setting intention and asking for what you want um, before your altar, right? So, uh, for example, my the deer that I killed, my first deer that I killed was about four days after uh, coming home from uh, some ayahuasca ceremonies. And so I was in a space of complete connection and clarity for me. I was... Um, calm and still on inside and I just had just this vivacious love for life that was exuding from my body and just super connected um and it was actually interesting because it was snowy in November and the bush just had this magical quality that morning and and where I hunt it's it's a lot of competition so there aren't that many deer normally not only deer but bucks just around me everywhere and um one of course walked in front and honestly I felt like the removed observer in this whole process sure I was the one pulling the the trigger but you know when I flung my arrow towards that deer it was just like I was watching it on a screen and it just felt all so effortless and right so fast forward to this last hunting season um I did not kill a deer been very busy with my studies as I mentioned and um basically my vibration was out of sync with deer right so you know, it's funny because I'm thinking like deer were showing up in my backyard as I was sitting out in a tree stand, right? So wherever I was, the deer were not. And that says something, right? And when you hunt as a means of spirituality, um, you know, it, it, it's, I feel like just listening, no matter if you get an animal or not, you're getting something out of the experience, right? So, um, but yeah, so anyways, I, I one of my favorite things I do now before every hunt, and I've always and I've done this before every hunt, always, is I stop and take a knee, and I connect with the land. I take a breath, and you know this helps center me. It helps my nervous system to adjust. Um, and once I step into that silence, there, once I feel that silence in my body, I ask for what I need, and I say thank you for what I have. And that's you know different words every time, but that's normally my ritual prior to hunting, and that's just it hunts always nourish you whether or not you kill an animal so whether it's just my nervous system attuning to nature um, or whether or not I bring back food for my family and freezer it's um it's just such a, an amazing it, it just deepens the whole experience in my opinion so I appreciate Mansell's outlook and story here today and um, for the way he holds space for the animals that he pursues for the land that he hunts on and for his participants there really is um you know a lot of ritual and intention here and it's it's not at all in any way shape or form uh hunting as you say just as utility or conservation type mindsets it's, um very cool thing he is doing and something you know i honestly could see myself doing in the near future so thank you very much man so for being here i've gone a little over on this intro um so that's it everything is again over at rewildmybio.com slash hunting is sacred and don't forget to leave a rating and review for the show as this will help others find this show and Mansell's very important work enjoy the episode welcome to rewild my bio 
Self-Help and Alternative Health Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. everybody and welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. I am joined today with Mansell Denton. Mansell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And yeah, and Richard Vixinic joining us here as well. Richard, welcome. Good to be back, Sean. Yeah, good to have you here in the studio. As I mentioned prior, we kind of been walking parallel lives in our approach to hunting and hunting is a topic that I uh, we kind of tiptoe around sometimes in intros in that depending on the guests, but it's a subject that we have yet to dive into here on Rewild My Bio, so I couldn't think of a better way to do it than have you here joining us. So again, welcome. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so let's 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 start like this. I uh, we start every show with the guest's biography. The show is called Rewild My Bio, so kind of uh, speaking towards the magic that can happen in regards to uh, rewilding our not only our biologies but our individual biography, individual and collective biography. So your work uh, very much, I think, speaks towards that uh, reimagining our biography, our interaction with nature and where we get our food from. So what I really want to kind of ask you first is what is exactly or tell us exactly how you got into what you're calling sacred hunting and just your your biography into the men's work and the type of work that you do. Sure. One thing that comes up when when you're describing your your question is uh, a concept in a lot of indigenous cultures and a lot of cultures more generally around the microcosm and the macrocosm. And specifically what I mean is there's a lot of people who desire to heal the earth or in some way help to support the earth that's going through some major changes. And a lot of cultures believe there's no way to heal the earth without healing yourself. And there's no way to heal yourself without healing the earth. They're very intertwined concepts. And that was the experience that I had. And that was what led me to the work that I was doing in a broader sense you know, I grew up in the city and grew up with a present father, but a father who was struggling with his own demons and his own traumas. And I grew up feeling very lost as far as what it meant to be a man, what it meant to step into masculinity fully. And in retrospect, I was yearning for some type of rite of passage, some type of guidance from elders to walk me through a process and I never had that so unfortunately life experience put me in a situation where I I got an initiation myself Uh, it wasn't something I asked for but I went to prison for six months and that was uh, to some degree a rite of passage in its own right but as I came to hunting and as I came to the outdoors, really, uh, I was in a relationship with a woman, long-term relationship where 
we both had flaws, but I found I was feeling neglected, feeling abandoned within the relationship. And although I didn't know it, I was seeking the feminine, seeking feminine energy, which mother nature is a feminine being from another source. And that's really where I started to uh, connect more with nature, have a deep sense of belonging and feeling loved by the earth through the practice of hunting. And so there was a lot of life events that put me in the place to start hunting. And of course, as I started to heal myself through the the practices of hunting, uh, I decided I wanted to bring men to the same experience in an effort to both heal men, similar to the way that I've I've been healed and also helped to heal the earth by up leveling our consciousness and our awareness and our connection to, to the planet that we, that we call home. Awesome. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that story. And, and um, it's interesting how you speak of, you know, mother earth having that feminine quality. And, and for me, my into hunting was uh, I've been wanting to get into it for years, but it wasn't until a, my, a divorce that saw me uh, basically sitting in a tree stand for months on end in, in the fall and, and beginning that whole process there for the first time. And it's been about four, four years plus now hunting. And um, yeah, so it's just interesting how you're mentioning kind of uh, seeking out that feminine energy through your connection or contact with nature, right? And through that process. Yeah. And it's a, it's a connection that this is all speculation and hypothesis, but you know, we go through life as men and we relate first with our mothers and we have this deep connection to our mothers. We then start to relate with other women more intimately and romantically, and we start to have connections with them. And the problem is to some degree, well, it's a problem in some regards. These women are always impermanent. Our mother will die. Our mother's relationship with us in some ways has to die so that we can, you know, learn, grow and and move on and, and move out of the nest. And same is true with romantic relationships. Sometimes they come and go, even a lifelong partner will not be with me the moment that I pass. And other cultures were a part of the earth and they had a deep connection to it. There's no word for nature in indigenous cultures. Most of them just see it as a, as a part of their existence and they are a part of that existence. And so I wonder what is lost from us not having that consistent connection to uh, the motherly energy of the earth in the civilized world and how that shows up in our relationships with women, uh, human women. And we try to project onto them this, this all you need, you know, these women need to be everything for us in a way that perhaps mother nature would have been in the past. And uh, obviously it's, it's all intertwined with, with masculinity, with men's work that I do, uh, et cetera. Yeah, so I find that really fascinating to kind of come at it from that angle of sort of reacquainting with masculinity through connection with the feminine, right? Which is um, really, a, I've never really put it in context that way for myself, but as you articulate it that way, I go, yeah, totally, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's almost you can define yourself when you can really 
sink into sort of the, the polarity or the opposite, really get to know yourself. So there's part of that. Um, so I appreciate you sort of articulating it that way. And I just want to say, yeah, thanks. That kind of helps me put a spin on my relationship to nature and earth as I continue to build that relationship or strengthen that relationship. Uh, and this kind of leads me to a, a question in around doing the work with sacred hunting. And that's um, a big part of what you do as far as I understand. Um, and just working with that word sacred, because that can be a pretty loaded word, right? And so, you know, I come from a, you know, I was raised Roman Catholic, sacred is the thing in the tabernacle over there that the priest goes and deals with, and I'm over here observing this, right? Um, and so there's that kind of concept of sacred. But I've also received some teachings from Lakota traditions where sacred's defined a little quite differently as those things that are inextricably linked to life and the source of life. So water being sacred because without water, there is no life. So can you expand on that in the context of uh, the sacred, in the context of connecting to Mother Earth, to life, and what, how you interpret that and how you might apply that in uh, how you work with men in groups? Yeah. One of the core components of the sacred, as far as I'm concerned, is intentionality and the the level of awareness and intentionality that we bring to anything. And, you know, I've had conversations with Charles Eisenstein. I don't know if you know who he is, but, mm -hmm. you know, for sure. And then uh, an Aboriginal leader, Tyson Yonkaporta, you know, these are people that I really respect. And both of them in separate occasions really emphasize the fact that to many Indigenous people, everything is sacred. And what I have brought forth with this word sacred is essentially uh, a way of, of pointing to a different way of being in relation to everything in relation to X relation to Y. And in some ways it's, it's sad that we have to add that word that we have to go through the motions of relearning the intentionality to bring to whatever the case is in this case, hunting, but it's true. We have to. And when we're uh, disconnected from ourselves, from our own emotions, our own, you know, relationship to the food that we're eating and, and things like that, it lends us to lose a lot of that intentionality. And I don't have any judgment towards people who hunt in different ways. The majority of people hunt in, in very different ways. Um, but I suspect many times the reason it shows up the way that it does which is, you know, sometimes uncomfortable for people who who grew up in the cities and their their sensibilities, is because the lack of intentionality comes from a lack of connection to themselves, and so it's just kind of a reflection of what we're bringing to any given practice, and in the same way that sexual, you know, sacred sexuality is just a process of being very intentional with the act of sex, who you're partnering with, how, what practices you're utilizing, whether they're tantric or kundalini or whatever the case may be, and utilizing sex 
not as a tool to simply, you know, ejaculate, but as a way of, of, you know, creating a connection to spirit, creating a connection to a higher power of growing as, as individuals. And the same is true for hunting. We take this practice of hunting and I don't, consider myself to be a hunting guide or uh, or an outfitter or anything like that i take a practice which is hunting and i take other practices like meditation kundalini yoga plant medicine etc and they're all just a suite of practices that i use to increase our consciousness and that's really where the the sacred comes from is the the intentionality and the desire to 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 actualize and, and move up the the hierarchy of our our needs. Nice. Well, you were mentioning plant medicines there, and I did want to kind of uh, ask you about that because I had uh, in listening and looking at some of your work, I gathered that the uh, this was somewhat of maybe uh, you know the sacred hunting idea and to actually lead men on these hunts came from your experience with plant medicines, if that's correct. Could you maybe explain uh, what that was for you or how that has benefited you and how that maybe fits into this uh, aspect of the men's work or the work that you do? Yeah. Well, I came to hunting much like many men, many of the men who come on my experiences, in fact, where I felt disconnected from the food that I was eating and I wanted a deeper connection to that food. And that was at one level, you know, kind of the the initial introduction and having a plant medicine ceremony. So I did ayahuasca a month before I went on this hunt and I did it a month after I went on the hunt. And that was not planned. It just so happened that my schedule was set up that way. It wasn't planned by me. As my spiritual teacher said, you know, the plants chose me for a specific purpose and perhaps it was ordained in a different kind of way. But we as a society, especially those who live in cities, are so burdened by noise, essentially, whether it's actual physical noise or whether it's the hustle and bustle or the responsibilities or media or just all these inputs that are constantly uh, being placed on our shoulders, I think it's very, very challenging for us uh, to really connect with ourselves, with our emotions, with our feelings, and with something that's true and true to us. And, and that's why it was so powerful to have those plant medicine ceremonies because for me, I went into hunting and I didn't really know what it was. I didn't really fully comprehend what it was until I was essentially just the earth put me down and just forced me to look at what it means to actually take the life of an animal. And that was so profound for me to even realize on ayahuasca that I was going to be, you know, killing another sentient being that I started crying. I started asking a higher power for guidance, which is the first time I'd ever done that in my life. And so it really took some strong medicine for me to like get the picture. And I think that there's a good argument for meditation, for many, many different types of practices, breath work and all these kinds of things. The reason I choose 
plant medicine is because it is such a strong medicine that people can't really ignore and it forces people to to look at things in a more significant way than they might otherwise be able to and so it was it was impactful for me for that reason and it was uh something that i wanted to curate for other men because what i do the the experiences that i create are nothing more than a culmination of my experiences compressed into a weekend my experiences with plant medicines with hunting you know seven years of of instruction from a a a spiritual teacher in in different indigenous uh lineages and i just bring it together in in one experience and and that's where it comes from and that's why i find it to be so impactful within the context of of hunting and there's a question there i want to ask around sort of the individual and the group um so you're bringing are you doing one-on-one hunts are you you bringing groups together or is it a bit of both it's almost always groups and they're generally pretty small groups anywhere between five to eight people uh, come out at once and that adds a whole nother component to it of, of brotherhood of connection of, you know, seeing other men in very short periods of time, like fully seeing them being able to put down uh, their, their shields, their walls and recognize where this kind of peak experience actually permeates the rest of their life, whether it's, feeling that this archetype of the hunter can actually apply to the work that they do in their day-to-day life and recognizing that, you know, the work that they do might be 95, 97% boring, but they have to be really on in order for those split moments where something happens and they have to be ready. And so there's, there's, there's a, there's something that happens uh, that allows them to, you know, really connect with each other about this experience and then taking this into their day-to-day life. And that piggybacks the intentionality piece too, right? Because you're coming together as a group, men choosing to gather and to to go on this uh, journey together. And I'm just noticing for myself, you know, I've been hunting for about a decade, um, you know, would hunted in more of a sort of old school, traditional hunt camp kind of thing. And start to bring my own intentionality to it. And then since having moved out to the country, my tree stands right out my back door. And I'm just kind of noticing how it's becoming a bit rote for me, right? I'm just like, out my back door, you know, I'm just going to turn off, not necessarily reconnect. So I'm noticing the slip there a bit, right? And it's become a really, it's, it's become my own thing. And the impulse has been to invite friends who want to get into hunting and really don't know how to start or where to start or if they were to kill an animal what the heck to do with it so it's like okay you guys come out you can sit in the stand i'll help you out if you need it and it's just that's starting to lend a whole new lens to my experience with hunting and it really does strengthen it and it's really sort of rebuilding my connection to that sacred element which i could feel myself sort of losing to a certain degree so um yeah i just wanted to get a, a handle on uh, how you approach that and um how that really lends to to men connecting with each other and themselves and the earth. And so um, it sounds really quite enticing to be, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's a constant practice. I'm not perfect. First of all, I 
fall victim to a similar situation as you, especially as I'm leading hunts, especially as I'm doing it every month, especially as it's my sole source of income. You know, it, it, sometimes it, 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 it is, it's, um, it happens. And one of the ways that I try to mitigate that, that kind of uh, uh, pattern is is simply to one step into a certain ritual that's associated with it more fully and so not only do i have all the sacred hunting attendees go through a series of of intentional sacrifices but i participate in the same thing so when i tell them a week before the hunt to abstain from sexual behavior, I also do so. When I tell them to fast at least 24 hours up to 72 hours, I also do so. So there's certain things that I'm sending a signal to myself that this is important. This is a place of of reverence and importance to me. And, you know, I've been very blessed that the perspective that I have on hunting makes it less of just a practice just a, a ways of feeding myself or just a practice but to me it's gen- it's genuinely my spiritual practice it's where i go to connect with god and that that has a level that's like a forcing function there of of keeping me um maintaining a certain level of intentionality with the practice when that's the case and you know, I'm also very blessed that because this is my full-time profession, my dharma, and people know that of me, they expect that of me. And at some level, in some part of my life, that could become a hindrance to my growth and and my being. And certainly we don't want to get in the habit of letting other people's perception of us guide who we are. But in this specific instance, in this season of my life, it is a, a way of keeping me accountable because it's not just that people expect certain things from me or that they, 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 uh, they desire to see certain things from me. It's that, the work that I'm doing in service to the earth is inspiring people. And to inspire people, I have to walk the walk and I have to be fully invested and live it hundred percent. And so I have some advantages in that regard to, to uh, avoid it becoming too methodical or patterned. That's great. I, I really do like this point that we're touching on, which is the, the preparedness and the intention going into these hunts and how much that I think makes this, like you said, sacred. So I guess I, I did kind of want to hash out, and you had mentioned earlier that there is no right or wrong way to hunt, and I would agree with that. Um, but I guess what specifically here, maybe over and above the intentionality piece, um, about the sacred hunting or this more naturalistic, uh, nature-connected way, conscientious way of hunting, what's different maybe here other than the intentionality than, say, your traditional, um, you know, let's say that perspective on hunting that maybe the non-hunter, non-American hunter might have of hunters. How does it differ maybe from that in, in your experience that is also adding to this healing work? Yeah, good question. Mm-hmm. When I 
listened to many hunters. Many of them actually have a, a level of of respect and, and reverence for the animal, and they say their prayers. and And, and I noticed that it's kind of bubbling under the surface for a lot of people who, you know, maybe they don't want to go there, they don't want to go there publicly, or whatever the case may be. Um, what strikes me is the relationship or the hierarchy that we as humans create with the outside world. And, and, and most of, most of the hunting world that I've been a part of seems to place everything in a hierarchy. Humans are above deer, deer are above hogs, hogs are above plants. And that is not the indigenous way that I learned. You have to remember, I was steeped in indigenous life ways and learning before I ever came to hunting. So I just brought all of the philosophy and all of what I learned about relating to, to, to myself and the planet into the hunting experience. So it was a completely different experience. And that interconnectedness, Lakota, Mitakweas, and we're all connected, we're, we're all uh, relatives, that is something I don't often see. And it is, it's, it's saddening to me sometimes to hear people talk about animals uh, in a way that is, I see it almost as people talking about their family members. Like, would they talk to, about their sister in this way? Would they allow one animal or one family member to suffer while another one is not deserving of, of, of suffering. Uh, in Texas, I'll just, you know, be more specific in Texas. It's very common to say, you know, you, you wait for the right shot on a deer, but oftentimes, you know, even people are relaxed with that. And with a hog, you just shoot it wherever, because it's just like target practice. We want to wound them, let them go back home and, you know, tell their relatives or whatever the case may be. And uh, it just, it doesn't resonate at all with me. And um, I think there's larger perspectives on the world that show up there, which I'm talking about, but there's also incentives that are not even the fault of, of hunters, you know, most guides, they are incentivized to get people to take a shot because if people take a shot, then they've done their job. And so the incentives are also not in favor of treating animals equally and, and, and having a very, very high bar of, of ethics and, and morality. So, you know, I can't, I don't want to place blame on anybody, but that's that's definitely something that I see. The the Dagara people, it's a West African group, they say that the the plant beings are the most intelligent beings, the animal beings are the second most intelligent beings, and human beings are the third most intelligent beings. And in order for human beings to really connect with their mission and the role that they have in their lifetime, they have to go to the school of the plants and the animals to learn from them in order to bring forth their mission. And that is almost verbatim what my intention is. I see a much like, if anything, plants and animals are elevated 
uh, over humans in my eyes. Um, and, and we're just there to learn from them. It's interesting. Like I'm learning from these cats that are constantly <laughs> fighting around. My- right. Yeah. It's, uh, I like how you're touching on essentially the, you know, the illusion of separation. And I think that's kind of a common theme, um, that we talk about a lot on the show here. Um, I've read the book Ishmael in the past and that just totally kind of opened me up into this, um, the way in which I look at other beings in the world, right? So, um, yes, having uh, different teachings of, of all sorts, um, but that book had a really big impact on the way in which I kind of look at um, animals for food and utility because obviously, much like you, I wanted to get into hunting to have a closer relationship with my food. Um, but through this process of, you know, my spiritual practice, it's just interesting how everything here is coming full circle with hunting and, and spirituality, right? And, and you know, that illusion of separation um, that uh, I, I find that I, I seem to have less and less of as I become more of a spiritual person and, and deep in my spiritual practice. So, um, yeah, and I can definitely see the difference here, what you're doing from, say, just your traditional hunting guide, right? Taking out, you know, somebody and, and like you said, getting paid uh, for if people are taking shots, right? So um, kind of want to keep this vibe going of hunting here and talk about death because um, I know Richard had questions specifically also, but um, how has this, how has hunting uh you know, changed your relationship with death and how has that fed into your, you know, your spiritual practice or your outlook on life? Yeah, I had a, a, a really powerful uh, relationship with death awakened from my experience hunting. So when I had the first hunting experience, I remember a month later, I just became obsessed with death. I was reading books about death. I took the skin of the animal that I had killed down to Mexico and I did another ayahuasca journey. And I remember connecting with the the dead version of myself. I remember connecting with the animal that I had killed, like the soul of the animal that I had killed. I remember uh, being so focused on death. It was scaring some of the other people who are at the ceremony with me. And what I have taken away from that is manifold. One, I do believe that there's a kind of death medicine that comes with hunting. And that medicine shows up in many different ways. It gives us an intimacy with the death of a being that doesn't look so different from us. It has given you know, I can just describe some of the experiences of sacred hunting attendees. I had somebody who had a friend who committed suicide uh, many, many years before he attended the experience. And that came up just seeing a hog dead, reminded him of his friend, reminded him of death. And it came up and he was in tears. I had a a member of the Israeli Defense Force who was in an elite unit that would essentially kidnap and kill enemies of the Israeli state. And he came on the experience to connect with the healthy archetype of the killer after decades of processing what he had done and his relationship to killing. And most recently, I had somebody who... Uh, had a daughter pass away and and it was very alive for him and so it just when we're intimate with it 
I think that is the crux of the medicine because we are so far removed from it in our day-to-day life. And we're so far removed from the death that we inflict in the world. We're so far removed from the death that is a process of, of decay and entropy, you know, of, of all living things. And so, you know, for one thing, I find the meat that I eat on a daily basis when I'm eating wild game, it's a meditation on death. It is a, a daily reminder of death. And sure, there are days where that doesn't even cross my mind because I'm trying to do my work and whatever the case is. But far more often than if I were to purchase meat from the grocery store, it is a reminder of a living being that had to die. And I remember the death that I inflicted when I eat it. And I remember that I will die. And it's not to say that I'm not afraid of death, but I feel like I have a very unique relationship with death because I am so immersed in it myself. I believe that I have more to give in my life and more to experience. And I'm at peace with the divine plan that is this current incarnation of my physical body. And that leads me to perhaps riskier things that I should otherwise uh, do, but it also just allows me uh, to shed a certain level of fear that I suspect and I see other people seem to carry with them because they don't have this level of intimacy with death. And there's so much, so many layers to it in terms of how a kill goes, for example, if it's a clean, quick kill, or if it's one where it's not so clean and quick and that experience is, is night and day, right? And how it affects me is night and day. Um, how I carry that for the next few days is quite distinct. And so there's always lessons in that for me um, in terms of how can I be more disciplined next time or uh, how does this impact um, where I choose to hunt? How does this impact um, just my relationship with the taking of another life? But then that sort of expands out into um, sort of death as that great equalizer and sort of the cycles of life and death. So how, again, that sort of tying it back into the sacred and that connection to nourishment, feminine, uh, sacred, is that life-giving through actually giving of their life, right? And so it just adds so many layers to it. And when you're eating it, I can only imagine what's happening on a cellular level when you're engaging with the food that way, right? Versus just hammering back a McDonald's hamburger or whatever. So um, I can really appreciate how that, that intimacy is a continual learning. Um, but then on the flip side of having lost people in my life, like my father specifically, how um, hunting has really been a reconnection with him because he was a hunter. And I know that's a real big thing for my brother as well. So it's there's also the sort of ancestral component to it, right? Because hunting is such a, it's an ancient practice. And so what are we tapping into there, right? And how are we connecting to those that have come before us and how that lends to uh, our actions now? And so there's so many layers to it. Um, and I think hunting is really an aperture into 
that humility and that examination of you know how we relate to other beings how we relate to our ancestors how we relate to the earth and i don't know that there's anything else like it yeah i don't i don't think that there's anything else like it it's it's certainly unique and it certainly holds a very important cornerstone in our species evolution um you know you, what you shared brought up a couple other things as far as my relationship to to death and to hunting one being my father hunted growing up and i did not know it until i started hunting myself and i was 27 years old i had no idea that i am a third generation hunter and it was because my father experienced so much emotional trauma when he hunted with his father that he wanted to repress it and not talk about it and so there's almost an element of healing the ancestral trauma that he experienced through diving in so fully. I mean, one could argue I'm pretty obsessed with hunting and they would be right. And so there's a level of, of healing that trauma associated with it. And then there's a level for me of that, that cycle of, of animals giving of themselves for me to survive. I feel so uh, humbled and I feel like so, uh, in a way excited for my death so that I can fulfill my end of that bargain because I have taken so many lives in order to nourish my life to be finally in act of service in that way uh, feels important to me and you know a lot of indigenous cultures they had what were called sky burials where they would put the the bodies up on a slightly elevated platform and they would allow the birds the bears the insects to come reclaim the body back to the earth and although i think it's highly illegal i'm pretty sure that uh, that's going to be the way that i go back to the earth because it just feels right to to be returned in that way well it's, if you have a long life things are changing things might change by the time so laws might change up on that once uh, yeah it wouldn't be the first <laughs> thing i've done illegal on <laughs> right well i like this piece that we're bringing in the ancestors and how we're connecting with them through hunting, um, because again, looking at the way our ancestors lived and the way modern civilization is living, we're a lot different now, right? And so I just think of this last year with the coronavirus and all of these measures taken to essentially save lives, right? Where I, I sometimes feel like um, if we had a, a better sense that we all die, right? Like no one's making it out of this alive. So it's just, it's just an interesting uh, year, I guess, to have this understanding. And for me, it was always uh, the death piece with hunting was always something I questioned whether or not I'd even be able to handle, right? Not in it. And that's because I, again, coming from this society or the civilization, having a mindset or being rem dis removed from my food, having always eaten meat, um, I always ask myself, what will happen when I put down my first deer? And when I did that and cut into it and, you know, was field dressing the animal, I was instantly, you know, despite, you know, that it's a messy job, I was instantly like connected to something that was deeper than I ever knew. And again, it was kind of similar to plant medicine journeys I've been on where it was like just embodied. Like it was, it was as powerful as plant medicines where it's uh, that whole act. I just understood where I'm in, where I'm at. And I had 
from that experience more purpose and more knowing of who I am. So I know I just I just kind of wanted to riff on on this whole aspect of you know ancestral health and, and death, um, and yeah, and bring up the coronavirus uh, pandemic. I don't know if you have anything to say in specifically or how that's helped you or maybe people you've taken out over the last year. Or... Yeah, it's it's clear to me that we have a a, a skewed relationship with death, and uh, you know the whole the whole experience has been uh almost like gripping and holding and and it just feels like a very tense experience collectively that we've had as it pertains to coronavirus and you know i i get you know over half a million people have died in the united states whatever the case is a lot of people have died and the the relationship that we have to passing could be that we decide someone's going to, to, to pass. It's a higher likelihood because it's their age and we have this disease. So we're going to, we're going to usher out their life with in the best possible way. They're going to be surrounded by loved ones. They're going to be regaled with their, their, their uh, successes in life, they're going to be loved, they're going to be nourished, and they're going to go out happy. Uh, but we've instead decided to grip and hold and clinch and tighten. And so you have people who are passing anyway, and they're miserable in their final days of their life, or people who are you know, now unable to spend time with loved ones and things like that, because there's just too much risk. And the people who have decided that they're a little bit more relaxed on the matter, of course, there's people who are just, you know, dogmatic and they're just, you know, behaving the way they want to behave. But I think at least in my community and myself included, a certain, a certain feeling that I am willing to take my chances to live a life free uh, and uh, with love in my heart, uh, instead of one that is fearful of my death and things like that. And I don't have any judgment of people who want to wear masks and stay at home and social distance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I do my best to accommodate other people's uh, concerns. But for me personally, uh, I'm willing to take that risk to live fully. And I think a lot of that has to do with my relationship with death that many people do not have. They have a relationship that's so, it's so foreign to them. It's so scary to them that uh, ultimately we have decided collectively in a course of action that I don't think is the best course of action. Yeah. It's interesting too, because uh, I mean, my desire to hunt is so that I do not eat meat that has to go through your conventional uh, factory farming death process, right? I'm conscious of that. And um, so instead of, you know, supporting that, I decide to spend a lot of time and hours preparing and trying to procure food via the field, right? Via hunting. And um, yeah, and, and I think, I mean, I'm just looking at like, even in regards to say like a vegan diet narrative, uh, the idea that they're taking death out of their food, you know, process or where they're getting their food that not being very true of course because you know i'm sure 
ground animals and, and, and other animals are dying from being sprayed or chemicals being sprayed. But I just, again, I see this um, re removal of the death process or it being like a bad thing, like as if we can stop it from all this. And it's, uh, I don't know, again, I just, uh, I really appreciate hunting's teachings for showing me that there is an honorable way to die and having a wild animal live its life and then hopefully cleanfully kill it with an arrow, right? Um, it's just, it's, it's the outlook I put on other aspects of life. And I'm sure if others had this, or at least my thought, if others had this experience or belief, they, right now we'd be in a different position, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of my loaded reason for asking the question. So I agree. I think there's many, many things that we have moved far away from. I have focused on hunting because it does something specific for me. It's my work in my lifetime to to do, or at least in this season of my lifetime. Um, but there's so many ways. I mean, the ways that we connect with other people in community looks very different. The way that we uh, connect with our mission, our purpose, the way that we, you know, there's so many things that we've just, we're so different than the way we've evolved. It's creating tension. And so hunting is definitely one of them. And I think you know, relationships are due for an upgrade, due for a, you know, uh, I wish they would create like a, 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 well, they have like co-housing and things like that, but a way that more easily puts us in, in contact with our loved ones. And, you know, I, I am creating it. I'm part of three different men's groups. I'm part of, you know, a co you know, many different groups that, that, foster that kind of community but uh, I guess my point is yeah hunting is is a huge practice to bring us back to certain roots and I think it's it's a very complex um, set of, of 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 things that we've done to distance ourselves from where we came from yeah and just to pick up on that point of um, you know people it's not, it's not gonna be hunting for everybody right it, and there's accessibility issues there's in some people's context, ethical issues, but you can go mushroom hunting, for example, right? You can really, really connect pretty, pretty deeply in that context too. Um, you know, I remember we had Hank Shaw on the show uh, a while back. He's a hunt gather cook guy out of California. And I remember him stating he'd get equally as excited about uh, that patch of morels as he would be, uh, you know, a big game kill kind of thing. And I can really appreciate that. So there's, there's other ways for people who are listening that maybe you're like, yeah, that's not my thing. I'm not going there. But it doesn't mean then we have to live this disconnected life, right? We can still connect through plant medicine. And I'm not talking psychedelics per se. I'm talking just actually with, uh, as you described, some of those indigenous cultures stating that plants are the most intelligent. So like we can really commune with plants uh, with a dandelion on a front lawn we need to you know and, and go real deep if we give ourselves that mm -hmm. space um hold that belief that um there is intelligence in that plant there is something for that plant to share with me and that i can share with it um you know i we could probably go pretty deep that way too without having to kill an animal totally and you know one of the experiences that i'm facilitating later this year in april is uh is an elk shed antler hunting experience where we're bringing and this is a very you know indigenous 
methodologies is, is metaphor and using the natural world as a, as a metaphor. So all the men who are coming on this experience in Montana, we're bringing parts of ourselves that we're looking to let go of, that we're looking to shed. And we're seeking elk antlers that are a representation of this thing that we're, we're letting go of. And so it's, you know, one of my friends who's a, an avid hunter says the same thing. Elk sheds are, you know, incredibly fun to, 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 to search for. They're, they're magical. I, I would like white tailed deer shed hunting. I feel like they just evaporate into the cosmos. Like, honestly, do they even exist sometimes? <laughs> I don't know. I've honestly, yeah. I've, I've shed hunted year after year now. And it's just like, yeah, what, a, what an amazing uh, thing that you're leading there. Cause there, again, there's so many ways eat, like when we're in hunting, we're talking about the pursuit of an animal um, and the, the, you know, the sacred act of that, but just being out in nature and listening to the signs, right. Following a track, um, all these things I'm thinking of the opportunity to connect with spirit or something beyond ourselves for our own development. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome stuff indeed. Um, well, you know what I want to do, I guess, um, cause we're coming on the hour mark and I mean, we've been chatting about death a lot here, so I want to liven it back up and maybe go into some, uh, some good old hunting stories, right? What's, what's hunting without some stories, right? So I see all the people that you're working with there, you know, on Instagram and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, what are some, maybe do you have any recent stories of some hunting experiences or what participants were getting out of the experience or just um, some good old good times, I guess, out there or some anything at all that comes to mind? <laughs> oh man, I feel like I have such a lifetime of, of amazing stories in such a short period. Um, very blessed to, to have that. Uh, one particular hunt I remember in October last year, the day, it was like one day, I just remember we just got gifted with so much wildlife. And I remember seeing, it's the, it's, it's the first time I've seen um, in a hunting setting, I just saw this huge, magnificent coyote running, uh, kind of like trotting in as the sun was setting and it looked like a golden wolf it was it was a large coyote and it was, it was so beautiful and i just remember telling the guys there that you know most hunting guides and most landowners would shoot that on site and we have a, an opportunity to just be in a completely different relationship with the land and with this animal and just appreciate the, the beauty that it brings and uh, and share space with it instead of uh, trying to exert our dominance in some way. Um, and that same day we saw a, a fox. I mean, it was like right in front of us, not more than five yards away. And and to me, there's just something magical about the the wildlife that we see as much as the wildlife that we, that we hunt. Um, most recently, yeah, I had, I had a, you know, I had a, a good group uh, this past weekend and uh, had you know, one of the men have a, had a really uh, intense experience shooting the animal, um, needing to stab it and, and, and needing to also cut its throat. And uh, I, I was, you know, the, something that I say about, about hunting is you always get the medicine that you need that is specific for you. 
And so he needed to have that intense experience in the past. I've needed to have that intense experience. Some people needed to have the experience where they shot the animal. And with my encouragement, they decide they're going to carry the whole thing back. The shot was easy, but now they're going to take that burden and they're going to carry it back with them all the way back to the camp. Um, So I, I really love to see people get what they need and, and to have that perspective because it's so easy for people to to come on a hunting trip and be unsuccessful and then to say you know that this was a failure they were a failure they didn't get what they wanted and i've never had anybody even come remotely close to that uh you know last weekend uh, i had somebody who he decided after the medicine journey because he was still so in it emotionally he decided that he didn't want to shoot an animal anymore and that he came with certain intentions and he got all of his intentions and in none of his intentions did he feel like he had to be the one to pull the trigger on an animal he just wanted to be you know with his brothers and learn and be in support and uh, it was uh it's it's really magical to 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 create these experiences that obviously attract the right type of people. Cause sure. I, I set the container and I create the context for them to have those experiences, but they also bring a level of self-awareness and desire for growth that allows them to have that kind of outlook. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, so yeah, those are a few stories. I mean, I, I would say like one of the highlight stories uh, was for me personally, it was going getting invited by a, a crow Sundance chief to hunt on the crow reservation in the Bighorn mountains in Montana, beautiful, beautiful range. And being with a, a family of, of, uh, you know, people who are very connected to their indigenous roots and looking out into the valleys and seeing little specks of Brown, some of the only remaining, uh, uh, free-ranging bison herds in the world that still remain and just seeing them with the binoculars atop Windy Point, which has been, you know, a, a, a feature in Crow uh, Indigenous society for, for hundreds of years. Just felt like I was looking back in time. And uh, you know, we, we, got, we, we got to kill an animal and I, I took that heart of the animal i took it back with me to texas and uh i checked in my bag and so the only thing that i had was a carry-on plastic bag with a heart in it and snow from the mountain and tsa was just like well this is the first but go on (laughs) right on that's awesome richard i'm gonna throw it at you too because i want to hear some of your hunting stories you've been doing this much longer than i um, just anything that might speak to what some of the stuff that we're talking about intention or, or something that you had to learn from a hunt that comes to mind? Yeah, I think I've spoken of one of these on the show before, so maybe I'll skip over that one. But even this past year where um, I just felt like I needed to, because we, we had just moved to our property that we that I'd hunted on for eight years, but we had built our home um, on it and moved in this past year. December in 2019 and this was really my first hunt having really come to stewardship of the land and um, I remember waking up at whatever time it was 5 a.m or whatever it was and I had my friend coming 
And I was going to put him in the north stand because I'm like, for sure he's going to see action there. He hasn't, um, this is his first, this is going to be his first kill. I'm, I want to set him up. I'll take the south stand, which I don't know if anything's going to walk through there ever again because of the way the house build went and just maybe changing up uh, their migration a little bit. Um, and I barely dragged myself out of bed, got out, and it was super warm in the morning. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'll just have a nap in the tree stand. And uh, I wake up, and there's this magnificent 10-pointer at like 10 yards, and it was the cleanest shot and cleanest kill I've experienced, um, and it was the most magnificent uh, deer that I've shot in my 10 years, and it was just like a, it was an arrival piece. It was a, there was just a real exchange there, and just the, the efficiency and the, the, the cleanliness of it, um, and now I have this this rack in my home not as a trophy but as a as a reminder and um that one's gonna stick with me for a long time and it's i i yeah that one really does stick mm-hmm. yeah. i like what you said about uh, the trophy piece but i mean I, st- I still think there's an energy coming off yeah of that right and it, it's going to remind you of that hunt and i think that's such an uh, important piece to hunting that i think again some people might look down upon this idea of trophy but having an, an animal skull or, or antlers or what have you yeah, you're, you're essentially bringing that essence in and that point in time. And I just think that's an important piece of it. I don't know, man. So if you get asked that question a lot as to your take on the whole trophy hunt idea or, you know, where, where that goes, or I don't know if you have any comments specifically or. Yeah, I believe no matter where we go in life, what industry we find ourselves in, what hobby we seek, human shadow finds its way into every corner and the light does too. So, you know, most indigenous cultures, it's not about what you do. It's about how you do it. And if you bring in that animals being into your home with reverence and it's for the experience, it's for sharing and you have a deep love for that, uh, then it's a very different thing than saying, I'm going to spend whatever money I need to spend to go get certain antlers because I can show off, you know, how big they were and I can tell people how big they were. And, uh, you know, it's a spectrum, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a, it's not a binary thing. People fall all along the spectrum and, uh, the constant practice for me and the constant practice that I invite everyone into is just check in with where is it coming from within you? What is the emotion, the, the, the feeling, the, the, the desires that are, that are driving towards a certain action. And uh, if you're in touch with that and it feels good, then so it is. Yeah. And if you can translate that to most actions in your life, I think that's a, it's a good, mm-hmm. good starting point. Right. Yeah, stopping and just collecting yourself and taking that one, you know, inhalation, exhalation before you enter the field or get up into your tree stand, I think uh, that goes a long way, right? Um, And well, speaking of like kind of stopping and collecting ourselves, I've got something fun planned for us today, uh, Mansell, and it's in and around a rapid fire question phase. Never done this before in the podcast. This is a total something fun to do. We've kind of gotten to a serious topic and an important topic here. So I'm super grateful to have you here to kind of kick this one off on the show. Um, but this is totally new. And what I'm going to do is ask you a series of hunting questions and just on a personal preference for you, um, just kind of say which one you prefer or what you like. All right. Sure. Um, so first question, gun versus bow. Bow, bow. for sure. Okay. If, if I'm hunting myself. 
both. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. For you personally. So for you, uh, when it comes to foraging mushrooms versus berries, berries, 100%. You're a berry guy. All right. I'll kill myself with a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, me too. This is, this is my mushroom guy right here. Nothing gets eaten by me until I send a, a text to him, so I'm with you on that one. Um, big game versus small game? Big game. Big game. Um, public land versus private? What do you prefer? Public. Public, yeah. You guys got a lot of private land in Texas, do you not? Is that, is that the Almost case? Almost exclusively. That's what I thought, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. Which is perfect for beginners. Yeah. Me, personally, I, uh, I like to hunt. Public. Cool. You have to come up, uh, have a hunt here in Ontario. I've just bought uh, Canadian Shield acreage, so it's right in, nestled in crown land, what we call our public land here. Um, but yeah, good to know. Okay, next, uh, ambush hunt versus spot and stock. Spot and stock. Oh, nice. I don't get the luxury, really. Um <laughs> Traditional field dress or gutless method? What do you prefer? I like I like dressing it on the ground, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, just doing the, the traditional way. Then essentially, yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah. just traditional. Right. I don't like the police so much. Okay, yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, for taste, for eating, rabbit versus squirrel. I don't know. I'm squirrel, squirrel. Okay, All right. Um, Richard commenting he's never eaten squirrel. Before. I haven't. I, I, I don't know why I haven't. My spirit hasn't been called to eat no. squirrel yet. No, they're not as big up here either. That's the thing. Uh, so yeah, that's the thing. When I uh, when I had gone on this kind of uh, dark night of the soul, so to speak, or my journey into the woods of healing after my divorce, there was a lot of squirrels eaten, and I totally <laughs> changed my stigma or perception around those animals. They at that time I wasn't. I did not kill a deer, so squirrel is what was offered. So, um, anyways, deer hunting. When it comes to time of the day, are you a morning guy or an evening sit? Hunting. Evening. Evening. Okay. And then last, solo versus group. Solo. Yeah. Cool. And that's awesome for you then. If you love solo hunting, then to take out groups, that's pretty generous of you. So right on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, t- it's a totally different gift that I get by taking out groups, you know? Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking, if it's just purely hunting and there's no, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, helping lead other men and all that kind of stuff there's something there's there's a connection to a spirit that's different when i'm solo especially when i kill an animal that's when i really feel the reaper Mm -hmm. interesting yeah okay so yeah my last question is a is a cornerstone question that i ask all guests that i remember um so kind of reflecting on our conversation here today or whatever's coming through for you today i'd like to know what is your wildest dream for the earth My wildest dream, you know, there have been times in my life where if somebody were to tell me to describe a dream or a goal or desires, I could not, I did not have the creativity or awareness to describe what actually happened. Like I couldn't describe how amazing, graceful, and beautiful it actually showed up as being. So what's coming up for me is full and complete trust that the earth will be fine. And however, whether we're here or not, she will be okay. She will go through her process on a large enough time scale. She will uh, reheal and she will do her thing. And 
I feel I feel inadequate in my creativity to even project what that could look like, and I have complete faith. I know that's a very different cool answer. Different, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So this has been great. I don't know, Richard, if you have any uh, concluding remarks or anything you'd like to say to our guest here. Yeah, I just want to thank you for your your time, sharing your story and your passion, and uh, you know, helping uh, even in this conversation, helping myself personally reconnect with my processes around hunting the sacred death and what what that means for for me and my relationships um, to the earth and and the people that I know and love. So I appreciate your time and it's been a real pleasure. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, man, so tell the folks um, listening where they can find more of your work or any projects you have coming up. I know you do. Uh, we didn't touch on your documentary, but maybe if you want to say, uh, tell us a little bit about that or how, how else they can reach you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the documentary is a work in progress. It's in post-production right now. It's called below the drop and uh, you know, hopefully over the next few years, we'll we'll get it out and get it to a wide audience. But in the meantime, people can follow the content that I create just on my Instagram. So it's at my full name, M-A-N-S-A-L-M-D-E-N-T-O-N. And they can also visit sacredhunting.com, where I have a, a full calendar of events, uh, many of which are uh, way off the beaten path. I'm super excited. Uh, 2022 is going to have uh, a trip to Northern Siberia and the Taiga where we'll be doing some hunting as well as, uh, some lion tracking in South Africa with Boyd Vardy in, uh, Londolozi game reserve. So I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I would love to, to have anybody's inputs, perspectives, feedback, love. I accept it all. Right on. Yeah, we'll have to put Canada on that list once traveling gets, uh, you know, back underway and whatnot. And uh, I'll extend that invite to you. And uh, yeah, Dex, definitely uh, Texas hunting is uh, become on my radar in the last little while, too. So this is really exciting to connect with you. And yeah, looking forward to continuing that. So uh, thanks so much to everybody listening out there, everyone, uh, men and women. If you're interested in getting into hunting, uh, please do check out sacredhunting.com and everything Mansell has to offer there. As always, stay wild. For listening to the Rewild My Bio podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you have enjoyed this episode. I have so much gratitude for all of you who continue to share this show with your friends. It really does mean so much to me. If you want more content from Rewild My Bio, then please check out rewildmybio.com to find previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter. In the newsletter, I share blogs I have written and reflections from my current health promotion research. Please follow along on Instagram and Telegram with the handle at rewildmybio and on Twitter, at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay wild.